Let's go back to this heart of forgiveness. I think one of the most essential things in the Christian life is to understand forgiveness. But we do need to understand God's forgiveness for us. But once we have that, we need to understand our forgiveness of others. And Joseph is a type of Christ. And there's some symbology in in chapters 43 and 44 that I'm kind of not going to look at today because I want to get to this part. Because in these last chapters in the life of Joseph, we see repentance, that his brothers repent. We see forgiveness, Joseph, toward his brothers. And we see restoration, not only of his relationship with his family, but the salvation of his family and bringing them to Egypt. And so I want to talk about forgiveness today. And like I said, we'll go back and get some good stuff uh, in other sermons out of those chapters because I like to go verse by verse through the books. But I needed to kind of leave the subject of of the repentance that Joseph is creating the opportunity to hear whether his brothers have truly repented because we are not aware of forgiveness until we repent. And so we talked about repentance. I'm not going to go back over that. And so here's the statement I want you to carry home with you today. Forgiveness is not optional if you want to live. Now, that's got a double meaning. Obviously, you can't live forever with God in heaven unless you are forgiven. So you need God's forgiveness. But once you have God's forgiveness, you will have a miserable life on this earth if you don't forgive other people. But I'm going to give you biblical reasons why you ought to do that. And and we'll talk about that toward the end. I want to kind of show you what happened. But that statement begs a question. What is unforgivable? And you just answer that in your head. But then I'll add two little sub-questions under that. You know, when you're reading and then it's like two more words and a question mark. What is unforgivable? By God or by you? That, those are very distinct things that you, you've got to wrestle with. And we'll answer that by the end of the sermon. I want to read the first 15 verses in chapter 45. That's where we're going to be today. And then at the end of that, I'll go back and pull a few things out of those chapters just so you're not totally lost in this scene. So if you want to stand up with me and your Bible's open to chapter 45, I'm going to read 15 verses, which sounds like a lot. It's not really, but um, hang in there and and pay attention to what's happening in these verses. I'm going to point out some things later. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out for me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Just Joseph and his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. What a nice English word. It means terrified. It means they are very scared. So Joseph said to his brothers, and they had good reason. We'll talk about that. Come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I'm your brother Joseph whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine that has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth 
and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He's made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. You shall be near me. You and your children, your children's children, and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt, and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother's Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. And listen, this last verse we'll read right now. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge you. We acknowledge that we were the brothers. We were the ones that needed forgiveness. And we ask that right now, Lord, that you would speak into our hearts, that we might be a forgiving people, that we would forgive others. As you taught us to pray, Lord, Forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who sin against us. And you even told us that if we don't forgive other people, we can't be forgiven. And so, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes of understanding, that we can see wonderful things from your word, that, Lord, we would apply them into our lives. Lord, I, I ask special because of, I really, you know I need you to speak the words you want me to speak. And that, God, you would use them in people's lives. Lord, we know that you can use anything. You've proven that in the Bible and through experience. And we trust you, Holy Spirit, to, to be in charge of all of this. We, right now, ask that you bind and rebuke the demons that would come and, and come against us. For, indeed, the battle is still raging. And they want us, uh, Satan wants us fiercely. He wants to keep us in rebellion against you. May we submit to your will. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Y'all be seated. Thank you. Well, Peter uh, asked a question, and we'll look at that reference a little bit later, but Peter asked a question of the Lord because the Pharisees taught, hey, if, you, if, if a guy for, sins against you three times, uh, you ought to forgive him three times. And Peter thinks, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double that and add one. And so he goes to the Lord and says, Hey, you know, what if I forgive my brother seven times? And Jesus said, why don't you try 70 times seven? It's not a number. It's not, a, it's not a, an amount of time. God calls us to forgive others. We'll come back and look at that reference that's in Matthew. We'll look at it a little bit later. I want you to just think about what we read here before I talk about the, what led us up to here. The first thing that strikes me in those first few verses is that the weeping is heard in Pharaoh's house. And, and, and I got away from the text and was just thinking about this. And then I went, wait a minute. Who was it that was crying? Who, who was it was weeping? And I was thinking it was the brothers that might have been joining in. But it says it was Joseph weeping. And the reason he was weeping is he had heard a full repentance from his brothers. And it was tears of joy and crying out of joy. And, and, and literally probably emotions from 22 years of wondering what in the world is going on here. I mean, 
I'll cover that again in a second. But, but think about these brothers. The Bible says they couldn't even answer him because they were terrified. They were dismayed, it says in the, in the ESV here. But they were terrified. Why were they terrified? Because they had 22 years of hiding their deed from their dad. They had 22 years of lying to their father. They had 22 years of a crushing guilt and that guilt was so strong back in chapters 43 and 44. And I'm just going to run through it quickly. Something happened. They, they had come and they had, bought, they had bought grain to take back home. And before they left, Joseph told his servants to put the money back in their containers. And when they, after they filled it with grain, put that in, tie it up and send it to them. And when they got home, they realized that the money was in every, they all had their money back. They thought, oh no, you know, how did this happen? They're going to, if we ever show our face again, it's going to kill us. But they tell their dad, dad, we can't go back without Benjamin. He won't let us come by anymore. And he kept our brother there as a prisoner until we get back and we got to bring Benjamin. And Jacob says, there's no way it's going to happen. It'll kill me if that happens, especially if Benjamin gets killed. And but what happens? They run out of food. There's no food to be had close by. They have to make that trip again. It's over 200 miles, that trip from where they were to where Joseph was. And uh, I got to thinking about that. That's at least a 10-day journey for them, probably almost double that. It's almost like 40 days, a month and 10 days. Uh, I, I don't know how fast they could travel, but it's 10 of them, and they got other beasts of burden and all of that. And today, after this service, my wife and I, this afternoon, will travel that distance to have lunch with my son and be back for dinner with our daughter here in one afternoon. That's just kind of weird, right? But we, we forget the distance and the time this took, so they're out of food, and Jacob says, okay, I got to do it. And, he begin, and there's a line in there, Jacob says, well, if this is God's will, it's God's will, and I'll have to deal with it. So they go back and they take double the money. And Jacob even sends a gift to like try to appease Joseph who they don't realize is Joseph. Just like he did with his brother Esau who was mad at him. He, okay, Joseph, this guy's going to be mad at you guys. So here, here's a peace offering. Take some of the good stuff we do have left and give them not only the money back but double the money so you can get more grain. So they go back and when they get there, Joseph's servant says, oh yeah, he's been expecting you. Come on in. Kind of, kind of weird. And they said, hey, the last time we was here, we got home and our money was, you know, with the grain and we didn't mean for that to happen. We don't know how it happened. So here's the money back. Plus we brought the same amount again because we need to buy more food. And the guy said, no, that's yours. God's been good to you. That's all he says. And so they're invited into Joseph's house to eat. And instead of going, oh, that's pretty cool. The ruler of Egypt wants to eat with us. They're going, oh no, he's going to get us. <laughs> they are so afraid Joseph's going to get them. Why? Because they know their guilt. And that's where a lot of lost people are. Sometimes even Christians think God's going to get them because they sin. And what he's wanting to do is sit us down and restore us to let us know how much he loves us and forgave us. And so they're terrified, but Joseph's working a plan. And he says, that's your brother Benjamin? You know, and he's talking through an interpreter. And he says, yeah, this is the baby Benjamin. And Joseph just falls in love with Benjamin and talks to him. And they, they give him five times the amount of food everybody else at the meal. 
That seems like a lot. I'm wondering how one guy can eat five times the amount as other brothers could. Maybe he had a big appetite, but Joseph is blessing him, obviously. He's showing him uh, favor. But then Joseph has this plan. He went and got the brother out of prison. They all get back together. And they still don't know it's Joseph. And he says, all right, give them the grain, put all their money back in, in their bags, and then put my personal cup in Benjamin's bag. We're going to let them get away, then you're going to go get them, and you're going to arrest them, bring them back. i got to do something. So that's what they do. And when they go to arrest them, they pull out that cup and say, don't you know that our master can do divination by this cup? Now, that's just a parlor trick, right? They knew they were his brothers. I mean, he knew they were his brothers. He knew their trickery. And he's getting them in this mindset of being afraid that, oh, he knew what we did. And they said, hey, we're innocent. We didn't take his cup. Y'all, you can search, search everywhere. You know, if you get pulled by police and you act funny, they say, do you mind if uh, we look at your, in your car? Now, you say, no, you're going to be there a while because then they're going to find a way to get in. Or if you say yes and somebody left something in your car, you're in trouble. They didn't think they had anything to be worried about. Sure, look at it. And they opened Benjamin's bag. Oh, this guy, he's going to be arrested. Y'all can go on your way. No, they rend their clothes. They are so, and that's a hint to all of us that they are repentant. They are in distress. So they all go back so they can talk to Joseph. And catch this in, in chapter 44, uh, toward the end of that, that story. In verse 14, when Judah and his brothers, notice how Judah's taking the lead. He's the fourth brother born, but now he's taking the lead. Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house. He was still there, and they fell on the ground before him. And Joseph said, what is this you've done to me? Don't you know a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, what shall we say, my Lord? What shall we speak? How can we clear ourselves God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. It strikes me funny that he says, God has found out the guilt of your servants because they weren't guilty. Were they? They didn't steal the cup. And yet Judah says, God has found out the guilt of your servants. He thinks Joseph doesn't know them and knows what they did. And Joseph realizes that Judah's thinking about him and what they did to him. Because they weren't guilty of what they were being accused of. Could you say, well, they're just admitting and hoping to get a lesser sentence? Maybe. But the fact remains that Judah knows they're not guilty of stealing the cup, but they are guilty. You know, sometimes we might not be able to express our sin, but we know we're guilty. And we know there's something there that's not right. And Joseph says, nope, too bad. Judah says, just leave one of us and let the boy go. And he said, nope, the guilty one's going to pay for it. And in verse 18, uh, 18, Judah went up to him and said, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in your Lord's ear. Now, in my Lord's ear. Now remember, they think Joseph doesn't understand Hebrew, so that interpreter is still doing this. So you got the interpreter and Joseph and Judah, and Judah's like just quietly talking to him. And he goes through the litany, the story, and in that story, he says, you asked us whether we had a father or brother, and I said, we have a father, an old man, and a younger brother, the child of his old age. 
his brother is dead. Now he's saying that to the brother that's still alive. That, he, that, that guy thinks is dead. Judah thinks is dead. The child of his old age. His brother is dead and he alone is left of his mother's children. And father loves him. When you come down toward the end of chapter 44. In verse 32. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father. Saying if I do not bring him back to you. Then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Thou therefore Please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Remember who Judah is. Jesus is of the line of Judah, right? Judah is taking responsibility for Benjamin to his father. He's in my safety. And if I don't bring him back, you can, you know, that death comes on me. You can, you can you even said you can kill my children. But, but I want you to catch that. Judah's representing in this little speech Christ. That he came with a promise to his father. And if I don't bring them back with me. He took responsibility for that. Jesus took the responsibility to our Father in heaven. And then Acts 2 says, having finished, having done the will of his Father, having done what he said he would do, he received the promise of the Father. Judah has promised to bring that son back. Jesus has promised to bring children of God to him. Are you with me? I just want to point that out. But when Joseph hears this, he understands they fully repented. He understands that Judah gets it. Judah's the one that said, oh, let's not kill him. Let's sell him to the traders. He's the one that sold him down the river. And we come back to verse 1 of chapter 45. And in the telling of this story through verse 15 that I read earlier, God is mentioned five times by Joseph. That gives, tells you his perspective on what's going on. He tells his brothers to go and tell their father what God has done in his life. He explains the reason for God's actions. He's telling them, hey guys, don't worry about what you did because God was in that. God was letting you do that so that I could get here to be put in this position to bring salvation to our family. Which brought salvation to us, by the way. Because Judah survived and his children survived till Jesus. Jesus died in our place so that we could be saved. All that's hanging on this right here. That, that Judah stay alive and be a repentant man. And jo so Joseph is explaining, don't think of what you did. Understand that God was in it. I'm not mad at you. I settled this with God already. Now I get it. You came in the door. I realized that God had put me in place of power to save you guys. I'm sure that Joseph had wondered about that a little bit. But that last verse that I read, verse 15, and his brothers talked with him. Now they're speaking Hebrew to him because they know he understands. But I don't think they're going, well, Joe, it's so good to see you. Like, where'd you buy that outfit? Quite the outfit, man. You know, how, how did this happen? No, they're going, Joseph, we are, I'm so sorry. And each brother is telling, I'm so sorry. And confessing to him, I am sure. The Bible doesn't tell us, it just says, and his brothers talked to him. They're getting it straight with him. But 
that's kind of an introduction. I want you to understand the depth of the sin that Joseph had to overcome. What his brothers had done for him. What, what Joseph had to un- overcome to be a forgiving man. I mean, think about it. We, we talked about it when it happened. No matter the setting, 10 brothers wanting to kill you, Joseph didn't deserve that. Joseph had nothing to deserve that kind of treatment. Irritating, maybe, but you don't kill somebody just because they irritate you, right? We'd, we'd have all-out war all the time because everybody gets irritated at other people all the time. He's had 22 years to think about his brother's treachery, that they, they wanted to kill me. I guess I ought to be grateful they just sold me into slavery, but they sold me into slavery. Now, if you're a normal human being, as all of us are, we realize how extraordinary it'd be for Joseph to forgive just that. Even though he survived it eventually, comes into a place of honor beyond anybody's imagination. Still, there's that little, going to be that little seed in your heart like, yeah, but my brother sold me and now I'm going to play, I'm going to hunt them down later. Once all this is over, I mean, as soon as he came to power, he had to start working, right? He didn't have time to do anything else but make sure that they, they are saved from, from everything that's going on. And he could have let that simmer for 22 years, but the evidence is he didn't. I'll tell you personally, I think Joseph forgave his brothers when he's in the pit waiting to be sold. I think that was already in his heart. But that's not all. He, he goes into slavery and he gets there. Oh, well, man, my boss is the captain of the Pharaoh's guard. That's a pretty nice house. Things are pretty nice here. Boy, this is, this is cool. So he just goes to work. Well, I'm here. Might as well do it. And he does it right. Does it under God's grace. And then the woman lies about him. The wife of his master lies about him and sends him to prison. You ever heard that saying, take one step forward and two steps back? Dad sends him just to see what the brothers are doing and come report. And he gets thrown into a pit and sold into slavery. Then he gets to Egypt like, oh, well, this is not so bad. Now somebody lies about you and you go to prison. Well, he gets to prison and the prison guard says, you seem to be a capable young man. And pretty soon Joseph's running the prison. And in prison, he gets, meets two of the personal assistants, uh, butlers, uh, servants of Pharaoh. And he helps them out by telling them their dreams. And he says to the one who's going to have a successful ending, hey, don't forget me when you get there. Man, I, how could I forget you? You've helped me out. You helped me understand. I've got joy now and no way I'll forget you. But he did for two years. So here's Joseph still stuck in prison like, that was my chance. Took a step forward, two steps back. I'm still in prison. Two more years, he's in prison. And Joseph could have been ruminating on that for all that time. And going back, and I wouldn't be here if it weren't for my stinking brothers. Guess what? We've denied and forgotten Christ. You see, when you hold on to a grudge, what you're doing is you're forgetting God. You're forgetting Jesus. And here's why I say that. It's because you're guilty of more than anything anybody's ever done to you. You are guilty of, of, you will never suffer more than Jesus did. And he forgave you when you caused the suffering. We deny Christ 
when we don't speak of him when we should or we disobey a command of his. If you're in a group of people and the conversation's not going where it ought to be and you don't bring Christ into it or you just, you can have a long conversation with somebody who may be lost and you don't bring Christ into it. Isn't that a form of denial? Isn't that a form? I've told this story before and it might sound more dramatic than it should, but we, my wife Janice and I were involved in singing in a Christmas production in a church one time and she had been doing it a while and then I joined in later and so I came to the first practice and the whole choir had to be the joyful crowd at the triumphal entry and the crowd yelling crucify him. And so we're all yelling, screaming out, crucify him, crucify him, you know, and just, so we get in the car to go home and I said, man, that was tough. I don't know if I can yell, you know, that. And she said, why not? You do it every day with your life. Well, that was kind of harsh, <laughs> but it was absolutely accurate. That sometimes the way we live, we are calling for the crucifixion because it is my sin that put him on that cross. That is what he was dying for. And so when I commit sin, I, I realize this is what you died for. And, and yet I willfully stepped into this sin. Joseph could have just, God could have said, you want to rebel against me? Watch this and just destroyed us all. But that's not what he did. You see, we've sold Jesus ourselves. And by that sin, we have demanded God to put the death sentence on us. My sin demands a death penalty for me. But I want you, I want you to see how bad it is. Look in James chapter 4. That's way toward the back if you don't uh, find it quickly. Go to Revelation, come this way. Go to Revelation 3rd, 2nd, 1st John, Jude. Or Jude, I'm sorry, 3rd, 2nd, 1st John, 2nd Peter, 1st Peter, and then you're at James. So it's just a few books from the end. And again, uh, a few verses here, 10 verses. I got to read them all for it to make sense. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire, you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You are self-centered. You are following the ways of the world. You adulterous people, he says, what I just said in verse 4. Do you not know that your friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it's to no purpose? The scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. That is a definition of repentance in there. But hear what he says. He will exalt you. And then goes on to say, don't speak evil against your brother. Why am I going over all that? Because you have to realize what God forgave you of because that's the reason you need to forgive others. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that. But 
we don't realize that we have aligned ourselves with the enemy of God. When Satan brought, when, before Satan brought sin to us, he had rebelled against God. And there is this, there are all of these created angelic beings. We only have one word for all of those creatures that God created before man. We call all of them angels, but they're different types of them. And, and all of these angels that rebelled against the authority of God, they, they are still his enemy. They went against him and he didn't forgive them. They are not forgiven by God. Man can be. And, there, and there, that's the big difference. And so when we want to do things the world's way, when we want to run the church on the world's practices, when we want to use the best ideas instead of going to God and letting God's word and God's will teach us what we ought to do, we make ourselves an enemy of God. Isn't that what it said? When you become a friend of the world... You're an enemy of God. Joseph had been sinned against. Remember, he's a type of Christ. We sin against Christ when we do these things. So how can God forgive us? What is the breadth of God's forgiveness for us? And I'll tell you, it's complete. He forgives us for everything. What do we do to earn that? You can't earn it. We don't do anything to earn it. We, instead, we understand that it is a gift of God, that all things are forgiven by grace. And his forgiveness of us is complete. It is total. And Christ wants us to come to an understanding of that sin so that we can confess it and understand the breadth of his forgiveness. And there are some reasons that you ought to grant forgiveness to others. The first reason is... Because you are forgiven. In Matthew 18, and you might turn there. I told you I'd come back to this. In Matthew 18, we have this dialogue with Peter that uh, Jesus had. Peter initiates it, but Jesus uh, takes it e even further. It's Matthew 18, beginning verse 23, and actually uh, 21. Peter came up to and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And I, I, I don't know if I said that a little earlier, but the Pharisees taught three times. So Peter doubles and adds one. Lord, seven times? I mean, isn't that your number anyway? Isn't that the number of God, right? Right? And Jesus said, I want to try 70 times seven. Now, Jesus is not prescribing 490 times. Is that right? Seven, seven, four, nine, yeah. 490 forgiveness and that, well that was your 490th time don't do it again because next time I ain't forgiven no no you make it becomes a habit man he's saying there's no limit you always are called to forgive why because you are forgiven he goes on therefore the kingdom of heaven verse 23 is compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him and owed him 10,000 talents. I didn't do the math, but let's say that's $10,000. Let's just do it that way. And he could not pay, and the, and the master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had to pay him back. And the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. Verse 27, out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants owed him a hundred denarii. Let's say that's ten bucks. Ten dollars. 
And the guy said, I can't pay it, but I will pay you. He pleads with him, have patience with him, I'll pay you. Verse 30, but he refused and went and put him in prison. They should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went, reported to the master all that had taken place. And the master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, the master delivered him to the jailer until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you don't forgive your brother his debt. Oh my goodness. God's forgiveness of us is complete. He expects our forgiveness of others to be complete. And let me just go ahead and tell you that's impossible. You can't do it apart from the grace of God. You can't have a forgiving spirit apart from the grace of God. God, and, and, and so you should forgive others because you're forgiven. And, and then secondly, you need to understand because God is the one who sees the justice. And he will either judge someone in eternity in hell or he'll judge them by bringing them to Christ. I mean, that's what happened to Paul, right? Paul agreed with killing Stephen. Then he goes Christian hunting. He becomes that, I mean, if they had a sports outdoor channel back then, Paul would have been showing you how to hunt Christians, you know. He's hunting them down. He's going to get rid of those Christians. And Jesus knocks him down and brings him to himself and says to the prophet that he sent to him to, to pray for him and to pray with him because I'm going to show him the things he has to suffer for me. Paul had caused suffering and now when he suffers for Christ's sake, he understands this is part of the deal. And Paul had to walk in that. And God will see you judged in eternity or he will save you. Which is a justice that Christ provided for all of us on the cross. Because God could have judged us in eternity, but he let Jesus be judged for us that we could be saved. And for everyone who comes to Christ, that's true. Thirdly, you ought to forgive because God's sovereign. And he's got everything in hand. Joseph said repeatedly in chapter 45, God sent me here to save you. God sent me here to save you. God did this. God did this. God did this. He's not looking at his brother saying, this is what you did. He's saying, God did this through you. You shouldn't have done it. Well, I agree with you. It wasn't a very nice thing to do, but it was the will of God and you need to worship God and thank him for this those brothers never got over feeling guilty I mean if you read on to the end of Genesis and I hope you do read ahead and and you study all that you will see that when Jacob died they buried their dad then they came to him like are you going to kill us now you know like they're thinking Joseph was nice to him because Jacob was still alive but no Joseph, no guys you dummies don't you get it I forgave you I love you I'm glad that God spared us Sometimes they'll say, well, I forgave him, but I'm not going to be happy about it. Is that real forgiveness? Is that what God did? Well, okay, I'll forgive you. But you, no, God loves us. He forgave us. And it's incomprehensible by us. That's why I said it's impossible for us to do it. But here's the thing. God is sovereign. He knows the whole situation. He knows the, the end from the beginning. He knows all the details but we can't judge our brother because we don't know what God's doing in his life. Our job is to show him the forgiveness that Christ gave us. A fourth reason is the church, the body of Christ, is damaged when we don't forgive one another. Because we're all joint heirs of the same forgiveness 
that we call salvation. Right? God is the avenger, not us. And when we don't forgive one another, we hurt the body of Christ. If our body has a disease and it fights itself, it brings sickness and death. And when the body of Christ has the disease of unforgiveness, it just creates division and turmoil. So what's unforgivable? Come back to my question. Nothing should be and nothing is unforgivable by the grace of God. And I want you to hear what Hebrews 12, 15 says. See to it that no man falls or no one falls, fails, I'm sorry, to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. When you let unforgiveness fester, it becomes bitterness. A lot of people would be delivered from grumpiness if they just be forgiving. If they would forgive sins against them. And remember at the end of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, if you don't forgive others their sin, God's not going to forgive you yours. That's a condition. And so we understand that. And so what is unforgivable? Well, the fact is nothing that some man does to us is unforgivable by us if we have the grace of God in our life. Because the grace of God is the power to do what we ought to do. And we have to come to that place. And as a church, as a people with one another, if we don't forgive each other, God can't forgive us. So, I think you can apply what I've said, but let me give you three suggestions. First of all, thank God for his forgiveness for you. I mean, just every day you get up, thank you, I'm forgiven. Thank you for your forgiveness. Because without that, no man can see God. Without that, no man will ever see God. We have to be thankful for that. Secondly, answer this question in your heart and mind. Don't tell me. Who do you need to forgive? A guy one time repented, came forward in church service, told the pastor, I, I, I want to repent of my sin. And the pastor said, well, go ahead and confess them. He said, well, I don't know what they are. He said, guess at it. He said, guess what? He guessed right the very first time. You don't know who you're supposed to forgive? Guess at it. You'll probably get it right. There's somebody in your mind somewhere. Somebody did something. You, you want to blame other people. Listen, you take responsibility for your own sin. Take that to Christ and take that unforgiveness to Christ and tell him you need his grace to forgive others and, and forgive those people. Because you need to release, and this is the third thing, release all revenge and judgment to God. The Bible tells us to not seek revenge. Unforgiveness is revenge that is rightfully mine. Forgiveness is letting that go. Somebody did something illegal, that's a law thing. They need to answer to the law. But you don't need to seek revenge. You need to forgive and let God handle it from there.